Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, because we've been placed in this city, and because, God, you have put us in a position to put your grace on display, Our lives are not meaningless. Our moments are not worthless. There is no circumstance that we're in that is happenstance, that just so called or so just so happens to be walking into certain situations. God, you are in control. And God, we we worship you tonight. We worship the God that is totally in control. And God, we rest. We rest tonight. We lay down our lives. We lay down our dreams to worship the creator God, the living God. And I pray that anyone that is trying to fight for their dream outside of the work of God, I pray tonight they would submit all their life to Christ. I pray tonight that they would see that living with God the Father is so sweet. Independence is miserable. Dependence can be so sweet. In our world, we reject, we reject dependency. And we highlight being independent, being isolated, being on your own. And yet deep down inside, we know we need, we need someone. And God, tonight, you will show yourself strong. You will remind us that the needy one needs to come to Christ. You will remind us that you are available to us and then you will point us in the way we need to go. Tonight, work your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 Please have a seat. Thank you guys so much for coming out here tonight as we worship our Lord. And thank you as well for just worshiping with us, being able to sing songs unto God. It's so good to be in this series because we are tackling a subject that you would think we, this comes easy because you know some of us are Christians in here and we believe in a God, we believe in Christ who rose again from the dead like the, the pinnacle of us or the basis of us even being in here It's believing in someone we've never seen. It's trusting in a work that we've never actually seen with our eyes. So faith is the very pinnacle of why we're here. And yet living by faith can be so difficult. Actually walking in the very faith we have can be so hard. And so this series is about seeing God do the impossible in our lives. Trusting God to do things that with our eyes, it kind of confounds us, but we know God can do anything. And one of the scriptures we saw was that with man, this might be impossible. With God, all things are possible. And I want you to expand the all things part of that verse, that all things in your life, that there are certain things that God has placed you in right now to begin to trust him even more. We talked about early that there are people that you've kind of written off, that you say, 
They are too far. Now, you may not have verbalized it, but you're saying they're too far from God. They are impossible to reach. And yet, I've got text messages this week, people saying, listen, I've been praying for that impossible person, and I'm seeing them change and grow. It's because you are beginning to activate your faith. You're beginning to trust God for things that with your own eyes, you know, could not happen, but only God can do. Only God can change that person. And so you're beginning to trust them. And and last week, we talked about just impossible problems. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and that God is leading you into a problem that's, that's who Jesus is. He is a problem solver. He's always feeding people. He's always healing. And so if that's what Jesus spent his day doing, that's what you're going to be doing. If you follow Jesus, you are following him into a problem. And he wants you to be the solution to a problem. So you are not a problem, but you are a solution to a problem. And some of you are beginning to trust God to do impossible things in your life. And then this week... Man, I want to talk about platforms, impossible platforms. Yeah. This is a city where some of you move to this city because you want to be on a platform. Huh? You came here because this is the big place. If you make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is the place to be if you want to be seen, if you want to be noticed, and you want to work your way to the top. And the interesting thing is that for the believer, no matter your vision, no matter your skills, no matter your talent, no matter your background, God has a unique platform where he wants to put his grace on display through you, all of you. That certainly, that does not mean that you'll be noticed all the time, It does not mean you'll be famous, but it does mean that God will put you in a position to put his grace on display. You see, God doesn't have a bench. There's no second and third string. He doesn't say, I've used this person in this industry and and I'm all run out. Every person who knows the Lord will be used by the Lord. He has a platform unique for you. Your skills, your background, your talent, your gifts, your abilities, your unique way that you do what you do. There is a customized work of the Holy Spirit crafted, shaped for you to do that no one else can do. And there is a platform that God has. And I want you to fulfill the potential God has in your life. And we're gonna look at a story in a minute here. But it's so funny because when people hear that, you know, as I'm saying that, some of you are like, that's what I've been, I've been praying that, that's what I'm talking about. I know my mama told me I was special. And you feel it, you feel it, you're like, yes, I'm somebody, my mama said it. And you feel these things inside of you. And so what happens is the minute someone starts to inject in you belief, part of you begins to look at you and you start, to, you start to conjure up all this strength and it's crazy because the Bible actually does not recommend you trying to conjure up strength to get to that prescribed platform. And the Bible says it this way in 1 Peter 5. 
Humble yourself. Listen, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. If you're going to get to your platform, it's not because you just placed yourself there. It's because he put you there. He may exalt you in the right season. Now, exaltation doesn't, again, it doesn't mean fame. It doesn't mean everybody knows your name. I was talking to my, I was talking to my wife about this. She was like, is, is exaltation being at home with three kids? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Am I being exalted right now? Oh, my God. Whoa. And I said, well, sweetie, th think about five years ago, seven years ago when, when you wanted kids and, and you, you remember, remember those times when you wanted, there were, remember we desired a church where people, where it would be diverse and it would be fun and exciting. And she was like, oh, snap. And then as we started looking, what, what, what ends up happening is sometimes we get exalted, but we don't realize God has moved us to another place because we're focused on the next thing. Like we have not looked at the season that we're in and been like, oh, God has elevated me. But we're so focused on the next thing. I'm no, no diss against you, baby. You know what I'm saying? That was just an example. <laughs> Examples. Just use that example. She was, it wasn't even like that. It wasn't even like that. Humility will get you there. And that is the very opposite of what this world tells you. The world tells you be omnicompetent. Act like you're strong at everything. And humility, true humility, has a perspective. First, humility is first and foremost acknowledging that God is great and I am not. That God has all power and I do not. That God has all strength and I do not. That God is all perfect and I am flawed. And you humble yourself under his hand. And the first thing you think about is submitting yourself fully to God. Now, so, so before I go on to anything else, I don't, you know, tonight our, our crowd has people all over the place, as we always do. And so spiritually, we're all over the place. But I want to tell you this. I'm not talking about getting to the place that your skills will get you or your networking will get you. I'm saying getting to a place where only God can get you. I, I, we were at a hotel in Atlanta, and I don't know, we, we must have been, you know, we must have been on like the 80th floor or something like that. And I remember I looked over, and if, you're, if any of you like me, like when you look over, you always think you're going to fall. Like I, I'm that guy that whenever I look over, I'm like, I could die right now. Like I feel this moment, you know what I'm saying? Are you anybody like that? I'm only like that. But I feel this thing where I'm just like, I'm going to die. But, but I look over anyway, and, it, and there's just like, wow, look how, look how high this is. Because we took this elevator, and it took us up. And I could have never got there through the stairs. No real talk. I would have the commitment was too much. My my point is is that through my own efforts I would have never got there. There had to be this mechanism to get me there. I had to be catapulted there. What I'm saying God is saying I will exalt you. And when God God will exalt you in a way 
where the point is you'll say, how did I get here? I couldn't have got here by myself. I couldn't have done this. This came from the Lord. But this is the problem. You get exalted through going low. It's through humility. And, and, and everybody, everybody in, is, in the city is on a mission. You know, you're getting on the train, you're on a mission. And then Christians read the Bible and they're like, I'm on a mission. Read the Bible says I can do all things. So I'm, I'm on that all things tip. Yes, I'm on a mission. So people who don't know the Lord, they're on a mission. People who know the Lord, they're on a mission. Everybody's on a mission, but no one wants submission. No one, <laughs> no one, no one, no one wants to, to have that part of their life where you're laying down your life before God. And, and, and that's, if everybody's on a mission and we have no submission, the problem is everyone's doing everything right in their own eyes. And it ends up being chaos. And that's the world we live in today, where it's chaotic. And so, you know, uh, John, John uh, says, I've got to, if, if Christ is going to increase, I've got to decrease. I've got to decrease. I, I've got to start lowering, not, not, not the belief in myself, not, not, not that, but I've got to start looking at myself in light of God. I've got to admit some things about myself. I've, I've got to stop acting like I've constantly got it together and allow myself to just operate in my weaknesses with admission and clarity and confession and then just go before my God and still say, use me in spite of my flaws, in spite of my flaws. Like, I've got to decrease and let Christ increase. I, I would become more secure in who I was if I could admit that I'm really a flawed person, but I'm still fully loved. I'm incredibly flawed and yet fully loved. Christ must increase in your life and you must decrease. Now, this whole sermon isn't about humility, but the heart of it is that I want you to see, I want you to see humility as we look at this one story we will look at. And when I define humility, I really use Romans 12 as a, as a means to do that. Romans 12 says it this way. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Have an accurate view of who you are. And the only way to have a sober vantage point, a sober perspective about who you are, is first viewing yourself as God views you. Not just, not just how your friends think about you, not just the great things your mom says about you, but a sober perspective about yourself, an honest assessment of who you are. One of the great challenges we have, when you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be free. You should, you should have security, like your adequacy comes from Christ. You don't have to front like you've constantly got it together. Because Christ died for sin and shame and guilt. He died for all of that. So you should feel the freedom to admit weakness and flaw because Christ loved you in spite of your weakness and his vantage point, his perspective about you has more worth and value than anyone else. 
You know, it's so funny, you know, in my years of doing ministry, I have found that <laughs> a lot of times when people first start, work, start working with me or for me or whatever, they, they feel like they got to catch me in my weaknesses. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so you sent the email, but you didn't follow up, right? Like you're unorganized. And I'm like, word up, I am. What was that, a mystery? Was this clue? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm unorganized. And I'm still the leader, praise God. <laughs> God didn't choose me because I had it together. Like I am a mess, and yet I'm deeply loved. I am honest about who I am. In fact, the more honest you are about your flaws, the more you can celebrate the strengths of others. Because you, the, more, the, re, the more you realize, you, again, you are not omnicompetent, that you've got it all together, you can just honestly say, man, there's somebody who, listen, um, I got to get to another part of this verse, but, uh, the, the sermon, but listen, we, we were doing, uh, we were doing uh, uh, membership, and uh, somebody came in, and we were talking, so what attracted you to the church? And this one dude was like, man, straight up, just being honest with you, preaching, man, just preaching just the word of God, just the way it just comes down at this church. I was like, thank you so much. He was like, yeah, man, just Rasul, just the way he just, he just, he got this thing he does. I was like, yup, he's so smart. He's so smart. And so like, my identity is not in my gifts or my skills. And so like, so, so like, and, and that's what I'm saying. We're so used to people being insecure that it's almost like a culture. Like, oh, okay, in, when you get to leadership, you have to act like you have it all together. What if God was placing you in a platform to show his grace, not your strength? What if God was trying to put himself on display through you, not how talented you are? I will take a faithful, loving man of God over a talented, prideful man or woman any day. Because they will, they will work from the love of God, not from their abilities and their gifts. And when you get to your platform, that's what I want you to be. A person who works from love, knowing that you've been loved. This is, is this a phone? This is a chorus of phones today. <laughs> Hallelujah. This God is doing something right now. <laughs> I want you to work from, the, from a context of God's grace and love in your life, not your strengths and your gifts. Look first um, in Mark 14. Mark 14. If you have it, or you can look up here, Mark 14. So communion just happened. The Lord's Supper just happened. Jesus is having this incredible picture of telling his disciples that he's going to die. He symbolically takes bread. He breaks it. He takes some wine. And they begin to drink. And the night is just very powerful because their friend of three years and their savior who, who has just done all these miracles has told them they're gonna die. And he 
displayed it through food. So they're just sitting there like, wow. And so Jesus begins to walk off with them, and they sing a hymn. So they're kind of like, you know, some there, there's some these Sundays where we just sing and we leave and we're having this very powerful moment. And maybe you and your friend are walking to the train and maybe you're talking a little bit about what you learned today or how you grew. And, and so they sung a hymn and they went out and just picture the moment. And Jesus is walking with them and he says to them, you will all fall away. Oh, mood changer. God. For it's written. So not, not only did he say that, he says, he, he quotes Zechariah. He says, uh, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus says to them, you all will get to a point where you will walk away from me. You see how close we are right now? You know, we're having this intimate moment where we're singing. Well, just a little bit, you guys are going to fall away. But I don't tell you that to dish you or make you feel less because it says, but after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. So he says, listen, you're going to have this real high moment with me right now. And then there's going to be this incredibly low moment where you're going to walk away from the person you just, where how we were singing and all that. Yeah, that, that's going to change. But I'm going to get raised up. I'm going to resurrect so Jesus didn't just tell them bad news. He told them some great news. I'm going to rise again from the dead. Well, look here in verse 29 through um, 31, I think it is. Peter says, so Peter's like, you know, the guy that just really wants to cut to the real deal. Peter says, even though they all fall away, I won't. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you. And there's a, there's a point, maybe Jesus was like, it wasn't even about you. I wasn't even trying to say all that. I wasn't trying to say, yeah, I wasn't getting, I was just saying I would fall. But then I said, why don't we talk about the resurrection part? Did you hear the part where I said raised up and got, I don't even talk about that. He says, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So, you know. Peter says, I won't deny you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me tonight. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And notice through Peter's leadership, they mimicked it and they all said the same. Look there at the top. Even though they all fall away, I will not. I want to highlight two words, they and I. And Peter's way of responding to Jesus is first and foremost comparing himself to the other disciples. They will fall away, but I am stronger than them, Jesus. I've got a little bit more than they do. And part of Peter's problem is that when you look at the life and the story of Peter, Peter has had these incredible, emphatic moments with Jesus. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus where there's James and John and now there's Elijah and Moses and, there's, and Jesus, is, is, he's, like these, he's like shining in glory. And I'm sure there was this point on the mountain where Peter's like, man, I'm up here. Look, I'm up here. I'm on this mountaintop with Jesus. I'm going to do great things for God. 
Jesus, uh, Peter walked on the water. Jesus says, come out on the water. Peter walks out on the water. Peter's like, I walked on water one time. <laughs> and from what we can dis- tell, disciples perform miracles. But there's another part of Peter. There's a part of Peter where Peter actually, when he confesses Jesus is the Christ, he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And when you look at Peter's life, there was all these moments where he was over-talking and over-communicating. Peter has this habit. He likes to talk about where he is strong. He always seems to go back to his highlights, but he always wants to hide his weak parts. He doesn't want to talk about those moments that he was really flawed. And so when he gets into big moments like now where Jesus says, I'm identifying a flaw in you, you're going to fall. But it's okay. He didn't even want to get to the okay part. No, 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 not me. I don't fall. You know, you know who I am? Peter. You know, Peter, James, and John, that's me. I'm a big deal. I, done, I, I walked on water. I've been on mountains. And Jesus is like, I want to show you something. You are going to fail sometimes. And I don't want you to be afraid. You're just, that's that's going to happen to you. And Peter, he starts to be able to quiet his failures by looking at the failures of others. They, I, It's good to have ambition. It's good to have healthy competition. It's good to push yourself and be driven. But I want to warn some of you. Some of you only have value and worth when you see others that are lesser than you. You gain value only by when you look strong. And if that's who you are, then you got to always look strong. And you got to, you got to compare, you got to actually look for flaws in people. And I've been there. I'll meet somebody, pretty good communicator. Little, They handle this meeting pretty well. And something in my mind is waiting to see them screw up so I can feel better about myself. And I am subject to that, and I suppose you are too, that you start getting to this they-I dynamic. And there's kind of this continuum that we can be on, that as long as I am stronger than them, then I'm supposed to be on a platform. I'm supposed to be where I am because I'm better than them. You feel that? You feel that tension? In this city, that's, we're drowning in it. We're drowning in competition and comparison. We're drowning in finding our identity and our value and our worth and our skills and our talents and our gifts. We're drowning in that. And the they-I dynamic is our culture. 
And Jesus is not telling him that so that he can measure himself against the disciples. He's telling him that so that he can know. Notice what he does. He says, you're gonna fall, but I'm gonna resurrect. I'm telling you that part of your journey will be falling, but you don't have to find yourself in your falling. Find yourself in my resurrection, in the, in the new creation, in the new person you are. <laughs> the story goes on, and this is where it gets wild, you know, because Peter's a mess. Verses 66 through 668. So Peter, like me and you, you know what I'm saying? Somebody starts pointing things out, and so Peter has to deny what's really going on in him. Jesus is taken, beaten, abused, placed in a courtyard. The other scriptures kind of show us what has been happening. He's tied up, crown of thorns, purple robe on him, bleeding everywhere. And Jesus is out there, and so is Peter, and there's this courtyard, and there's a fire there, and it's cold, and it's nighttime. And Peter's warming his hands, other scriptures tell us, and then it says, and Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servants' girls of the priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, and this is, this is all right, I know y'all don't lie, but this is what people do when they lie, you know what I'm saying? I neither know or understand what you mean. <laughs> he didn't say, who are you talking about? He acted like Jesus was a French word. He's like, Jesus, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's say it again. <laughs> My God. I don't get what you mean. What do you mean? Because Peter has become a professional at protecting his flaws. And when you get into that, boy, truth and, you know, truth and lying becomes this very fluid thing. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean? Jesus, I don't know. Jesus, I don't, what is that? That's what he just did. And look at the next verse. So it goes on. So, he, so it shows us he was in the courtyard so then what does he do? When people start noticing the flaw in him, he walks away, and this happens all the time. I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but I always fear for the leader that jumps either from ministry to ministry, job to job, friendship to friendship, and when their flaws get pointed out, they move on and don't learn. Okay, so he goes, he goes from the courtyard to the gateway. He's like, let me get out of here, let me get out of here. You know what I'm saying? She don't know me, she don't know me, she don't know me. Oh my God, who is she? He went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed the first time. And I'll tell you what the rooster crowing means in a second. <clears throat> and the servant girl, same girl now, servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, now point this out, she's not even talking to him at this point. So she's talking to bystanders. So she's there, out there, she's a servant girl, doing what servant girls do, whatever they do, and she's there, she's there chilling with friends. Not even talking to him. She says, you know, this man is one of them. And again, he denied it. 
So what had to happen is that she's over there talking. He's like, what you said? I'm not him. Oh, my God. Shut up. Oh, my God. I don't know you. She lying on me, though. Okay. So then, so he had to have jumped into her conversation. So while the bystanders again said to Peter, so now, now what, what happened? She said it to the bystanders, but now the bystanders are saying this. So now people are talking about you. Bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now in Luke, it breaks us down that he had a Galilean accent. And the Galilean accent was more of a poor accent. So his, his, uh, so his diction was more flawed. And so they noticed that. So not only are they saying, we notice you with him, but they're also saying, you talk like you from somewhere else. And that's the way that Galileans roll. Like, I could hear it in your voice. You're Galilean. So go to the next verse. <laughs> but he began, man, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. There is no need to break down Greek. What you think is happening is happening. I don't mean cussing like F-bombs and S-bombs. No, this is what he's doing. He's like, on my mama, I don't know him. I swear to God, I don't know him. Shoot me, kill me right now if I know him. That's what he's doing. He's swearing and he's cursing, cursing in the sense of he's saying, if, this, if I'm lying, let this happen to me. So this is what happens. Once you lie, you know when you got to go all in for the lie? At this point, I've swung into the land of untruth so much that I might as well just let it bathe and just bathe in the lie. Like, so you gotta, you gotta keep going with it. Like, no, I mean, I would never lie. I've never lied in my whole life. I don't know Jesus, never heard of what is a Jesus, swear to God, and he's saying all this crazy stuff. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Now, in other versions, it's funny, but in other versions, it'll say the rooster crowed a third time. And it's interesting because many would say that the way that Mark got this gospel was from talking to Peter. So Peter kind of said the rooster crowed twice. People be fronting like this. <laughs> twice. But I don't even want to get into details. But so, so Peter remembered, listen, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. So let's say the third time in other texts. And listen. Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And in other, in other, uh, in Luke, it says that Jesus looked at him right when he said it. The rooster crowing is a sign that it's morning. And so when the sun is beginning to rise, the rooster will crow. So when Jesus says this very night, it was an indication the day is ending and your lie is beginning. Remember I told you that? Yeah, before the night ends. And so the rooster is an indication of the night ending. Y'all got to see what's happening here. Peter 
is chilling by himself, warming his hands. A girl comes over and says, man, aren't you with him? He says no. Then she's talking to her friends. Then he jumps into her conversation. It's like, no, that's not the case. Y'all lying. Then out of nowhere, he just starts swearing and cursing and getting all mad, like having this huge outburst of anger. And then he starts to cry out of nowhere. Like, he's, no, no, (laughs) oh my God. And what's happening is this, like, Jesus is convicting his heart. But I kind of think the servant girl thought she did it. (laughs) Like, you ever think the servant girl was like, so then this is what happened. I told him about himself, right? (laughs) So no, peep it, peep it, peep it. And I said, you sound like a Galilean. And then... (laughs) Watch this, watch this. He started to cry. <laughs> That's what happens when you come to Jerusalem. Oh my God. You step in here. Jerusalem girls don't play that. No, I mean, just for a second. Don't you think she thought it was her? She thought, oh, I'm a bad girl. I told him about himself. I peeped his accent the whole game. You can't play games up in here. God broke him, the people didn't. See, we get the advantage of seeing that Jesus was looking at him, Jesus told him this, but in an interaction, they don't know that. But he saw God doing something in his own life and he broke down. And the scripture says when he broke, that's one Greek word, it says he was grieving. He couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't front anymore. He got to the place where his lie was overwhelming him because the conviction of Jesus was crushing him, but man didn't do it. God had to. And if you are leading anybody who is proud, don't think your tough talk's gonna change anybody. <laughs> I mean, yes, certainly um, there are people who will change through time and all that, but, but God is the one that broke his heart. And this is one of the best places you can be when, you're, when you start to get convicted over your sin, where you just can't do things like you used to. You used to be able to lie. You used to be able to do all types of stuff. You would say whatever. You, you, you mimicked the culture. You did what your friends did. But there comes a point where you leave and you go home and you get in your car and you just break down like, I can't keep this going anymore. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to change. And you look up to heaven and say, God, change me. I can't keep doing it this way. And God is humbling him. They'll all deny you, but I won't. And God put him on display. God, listen, the scripture says humble yourself. Why does it say humble yourself? Because you don't want God to have to humble you. Humble and humiliation are part of the same root word, boo-boo. One is self-active. One is when you get found out. And you get exposed. 
scary thing to be exposed by the living God. But this is, he's not exposed like a, like a TMZ or a paparazzi kind of exposed where we just want to put your flaws on display. He is exposing him so that he can see himself in light of God's grace and mercy. And I'm so glad the story didn't end here. John 21, Jesus resurrects. And when Jesus resurrects, there's this beautiful picture, beautiful picture of after the resurrection, there's this fire that Jesus sets up and he sets out almost like a lunch for the disciples. In John 21, they have this, or rather a breakfast. In John 21, there's this fish that they have and they've cooked up. And um, it says when they had finished breakfast, this is the key part, <clears throat> when they had finished breakfast, so, so this, <laughs> what's happening is the disciples are with Jesus and they're talking and they're like, yo, what was it like to resurrect? And, you know, this is amazing. You're back again. Oh, my God. I remember seeing you die and they're having these great conversations. Could only assume the things they were thinking and talking about. And then breakfast ends. You ever have beef with somebody, like a problem, and y'all haven't talked about it yet? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's a problem, but y'all start talking about, like, the game and the weather and, oh, my gosh, and how's your mom? And, oh, my gosh. And then you reach that point in the conversation where you know it's coming. <laughs> like, the hard part's coming. Like, breakfast ends. And I'm assuming the disciples might have been off in a corner. And it got real quiet. You know that quiet moment where, like, you don't know what to say next? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And it's a, yeah. Simon? Son of John, says his full name. <laughs> Jesus had done this before when he confessed that he was the Christ. He said, Simon, son of Barjona. He did the same thing. But he was saying his full name for a reason. He was going to make a statement to him. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, more than what? The other disciples. Now peep the scene. The last time that he actually saw Jesus, there was a fire and he was warming his hands. And he had said he was more faithful than the disciples. And now he's by a fire with Jesus. And Jesus is asking him this very penetrating question. Do you love me more than these? And Peter is embarrassed. And Peter is ashamed. And he says, yes, Lord. And it's like, I don't even want to get into it. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, says his name again. Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, tend my sheep. And the verse goes on, and he asks him again, do you love me? Three times, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? And there is a reason for that. Because he denied him three times. And for every denial, 
that he had to his Savior. For every flaw that God exposed, Jesus was asking him a question. Do you love me? And the undergirding of this three-time denial and this three-timed question is he is trying to get down to the root problem. Peter, I don't want you to compete, Peter. I don't want you to just have to hide your flaws, Peter. I want you to do what you do because you love me. Not because you're not flawed, not because you're better, but because I rescued you. I just finished dying for you. Do you love me? And he goes on and he says, I want you to feed sheep and I want you to tend lambs. And, and there, what he's doing there is that feeding means that I'm caring and tending means I'm directing. I want you to be caring and I want you to be a directional leader. I want you to care for people like I'm caring for you now, but I want you to command and lead people like I'm leading you now too. I want you to be humble, but I want you to be confident. I want you to be weak and tender, but I want you to be strong and bold. Love me. Do you love me? And if you're not at the place where you do what you do because you are in love with the Lord, then start to reconstruct your life and start to do what you do because you love God. Because man will fail you and your gifts aren't all that and your talent is limited and I hate to tell you this but someone's better than you at what you think you're the best at do you love me my love covers your flaws and so he asks him three times And I want you to be a humble leader. I want you to get to a place where you do things and you're just blown away that you're there. You're amazed that God gave you breath. You think you're renting heartbeats. You think this is amazing. God would even allow me to do this. And I want you to live a life of operating by the grace and the love of God, not by pride and entitlement. Grace and love. Grace and love. That's why you do what you do. That's your motivation. It's because I love God, because of what he's done for me. And I'm just glad to be here. There's a closing story. Right now, um, I know you guys love God because the tournament is on and none of you have checked your phones. Quite possibly not true, but you know, you have the basketball tournament, the round of 64, and it's crazy because you'll have this like 16th seed play the number one seed. And you know, the number one seed, when they play the 16th seed, they come onto the court like, Oh my God, we about to rock y'all. 
why are you even here? We're number one. You're 16. We shouldn't even be playing this game. And they come out there and the game's a little tighter than they thought. And then they get a little tight. Because the whole time as they're shooting, as they're running their plays, they start thinking, we're supposed to be here. The 16th seed is throwing up shots. They're throwing three-pointers. They're shooting from the half-court line. They're doing all types of plays because there's something freeing by the mere fact that you don't think you should be there. There's something real free about that. And they're like, look, if we lose, who cares? I mean, what, what are we ain't supposed to be here in the first place? We in the Mac Miac WAC conference, and this guy is amazing. And they're not entitled. They, they're amazed that they're just there. And some of you are walking in your leadership a little tight. In your way that you do things, you're a little tight. And you're not free. But if it had not been for the grace of God, where would I be? And so, The next time someone says, have you heard Rasul? Have you, have you listened to this guy, this preacher? Have you watched the way this guy leads? I won't say, they, I. I'll say, praise God. Because I don't think I deserve to be in the game in the first place. I'm here by the grace of God. I'm not entitled to success. My success is in the cross. My success is the fact that I'm even here. Grace and love is your motivation, not pride and entitlement. Lord, we love you. Change us. Change us, God. Make us more like you. Make us more like you, God. Make us more like you. Place us in a platform we could never be, but humble our hearts and change us, God. Change us. Change us, Jesus. Be our motivation. Be our motivation, God. And shower us in your love. And keep reminding us why we do what we do. Because I love you. I love you. I love you. I do what I do because I love God. And he has placed me somewhere I don't deserve to be. I love you. Let grace and love be your motivation. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.